Hey everyone, my name is Randall Heyer and I'm the worship arts pastor here at Cochrane Alliance Church. We are so glad that you've come to check out the latest sermon and we pray that you are encouraged, challenged, and ultimately that you are drawn closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Let's uh, pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we uh, long for your presence We know that you indwell us by your spirit, but we know sometimes we can become hard-hearted towards your presence. Sometimes we can become distracted and we have a, we just forget this great gift that you have given us of the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And I pray in this place today that your Holy Spirit would move amongst us, that if there are any barriers or blockages to hearing from you through your word or through the voice of the spirit within, that you would remove those today so that we would hear clearly what you have to say. And so we welcome your presence in this place. And Lord Jesus, I pray that in everything we do here that your name would be glorified. And I pray this in your name, Jesus, amen. So last week, if you were here, We saw that David encountered God in the ordinary moments of his life. And if you haven't heard that sermon, you can go back and watch it on our uh, uh, online or you can get it on the podcast. But we saw that David was encountering God in the ordinary moments of his life. And he went from ordinary shepherd boy to anointed king of Israel. And you can imagine that scene. He's out tending the sheep and uh, they run out and they get him and they say, you've got to come to the sacrifice. And he's like, okay, I guess. He shows up and Samuel the prophet anoints him with oil. And he says, you're the anointed king of Israel. Can you imagine that day? And then the funniest part for me, so Samuel leaves, and David's uh, father, Jesse, I guess, is like, well, David, the sheep aren't going to watch themselves. Back to the field you go. But what we saw is that David was encountering the, the extraordinary purposes of God in the ordinary moments of his life. And we ended our sermon last, last week <clears throat> after one of the most extraordinary moments of David's life when he defeated the warrior giant Goliath. And I want to pick up our story today from there. So defeating Goliath came with some major perks. But for David, the biggest change for him was that he was now officially in Saul's army. No more going back and forth between the father's sheep pasture and Saul's place. David is made a leader in the army. And David, faithfully serving the Lord God, finds success after success. Scripture records that whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased the troops and Saul's officers as well. Now we might be tempted to think that this is exactly what a life lived in the center of God's will looks like. Simply going from one success to another, consistently getting better and better. However, the narrative of scripture is pretty clear that being in the center of God's will is no guarantee of continual success or ease. In fact, Jesus promises us, in this world, you will have trouble. The comfort, though, is that Jesus has overcome the world. And the comfort is that even when we enter into those times and those places and those seasons of hardship and trouble, that God does not leave us, he does not abandon us, he does not forsake us, but that he walks with us and he uses those places of trial and suffering to prepare us to refine us as fire refines and purifies gold. And we could go off into a theological uh, weeds here and say, well, does God make the wilderness or does he use the wilderness or the seasons of trial and hardship? I don't want to focus on that today. I want to focus on God's presence with us in the wilderness. 
God's presence with us in those seasons and times of life where, where everything seems to be falling apart. And what we're going to see today is that David is going to be led into that place <clears throat> of testing and preparation. He's going to be led into the wilderness. Because David is so successful at everything he does, Saul becomes consumed with jealousy and with the need to keep his power at any cost. And the breaking point for Saul, and some of you know this, is when the women sang the song when David came back from battle. And they sang, well, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. And Saul can't handle that. It said Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. And the next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but it departed from Saul. If someone had tried to murder me twice, I'd probably leave. But David is faithful. What we have to understand is that David has pledged to serve Saul. And the first place that he agreed to serve Saul was to play the lyre when the evil spirit came upon him. And I guess that's just part of the job description. If you're playing the lyre for a man afflicted by an evil spirit, he may try to murder you. Be ready. So David is faithful. He doesn't leave. He doesn't leave Saul. He doesn't run away. But, scripture, but you know, obviously things are starting to fall apart. And Scripture says that Saul became afraid of David. And now Saul, in his mind, he thinks that if I can get David to marry one of my daughters, that way I'll be able to keep tabs on him. That way I'll be able to control him. And so he tries to get David to marry his oldest daughter, and David refuses. He says, That's not, I'm not worthy of that. But it opens up the doorway then for the youngest daughter of Saul, who loved David, to marry David. And this whole time period in Scripture is summed up like this. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David... And that his daughter, Michal, loved David. Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained his enemy for the rest of his days. Now David's life, I mean, except for the, the moments where Saul tries to murder him, is going really well. He is a commander in the army. He has one success after another. The woman who loves him marries him. So except for the whole Saul thing, David's life is looking pretty good. But we are also seeing that because of Saul's jealousy and paranoia and the, and the evil spirit that afflicts him, you know, David's position is not as secure as, as it should be. Now, David is walking faithfully in God's will. David has done nothing wrong, but David's life is about to change drastically. Chapter 19 opens like this. Saul told his son Jonathan and all his attendants to kill David, but Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. And I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be flying through a lot of chapters. So you might want to hang on to your Bible and try and keep up a little bit. We're going to try and span a whole bunch of time period here. But Jonathan is able to talk his father out of killing David for a time. But before long, Saul is again afflicted with an evil spirit and tries to kill David. We read in Scripture that that night, Saul sent men to David's house to kill him. But David's wife, Michal, helped David escape, even stuffing a, an idol she had found into David's bed and putting a goat skin uh, on it to look like hair. And she told the men who came to kill David that David was laying sick in bed. And David escapes the trap set for him, and he goes to the prophet Samuel at Namoth. 
And this begins David's time in the wilderness. And David's time in the wilderness, of course, is not going to be easy. But God uses it as the place of preparation. David's going to learn things in the wilderness that he would never have learned if he'd stayed as a commander in Saul's army. And David's going to encounter God in the wilderness in new ways. I want to pause here. And I want us to recognize that there is a strong theme in Scripture of the importance of wilderness and how God forms his people in the wilderness. Now, if you imagine yourself back, you know, 8,000 years ago, you want to be in the village with all the people near the well, near the food source. You don't want to be in the wilderness. The wilderness is hard. It's difficult. You've got to find sources of water. You've got to find food to eat. You've got to find shelter in caves. It's not a pleasant place to be. You don't want to be in the wilderness. But God consistently uses wilderness as a place to form his people. Think of Moses. He flees into the wilderness. And he's a shepherd in the wilderness for many years until he encounters the living God in a burning bush deep in the wilderness. And then God leads his people, the Hebrews, the Israel nation, into the wilderness and through the wilderness. And it wasn't, it wasn't without purpose. Moses tells the people in Deuteronomy, he says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So it wasn't just that they were wandering in the wilderness without purpose. Moses is saying there was a purpose of God in forming you in these 40 years. He, said, he goes on, he says, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, not, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. And so the wilderness was the place that God had to use to prepare his people to enter the promised land. They had kind of already proven that they were somewhat rebellious and disobedient, and the wilderness was the place where God started to teach and refine. So Moses was taught in the wilderness. The people of God were tested and tried and taught in the wilderness, and even Jesus was led into the wilderness. As the people of God were led for 40 years in the wilderness, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan three times and was victorious. But even Jesus went into the wilderness, the place of preparation, the place of testing and trial. And so there's something important about wilderness. Pastor Brian Lanting puts it like this. He says, God operates in the wilderness because it's the one place in this world where we get desperate. And desperate times produce desperate prayers. Thus, the wilderness is the place where God is calling us not to suffer for suffering's sake, but to suffer a distaste for what this world offers in order to drink deeply from the living water that is Christ. Exodus 8.1 tells us the reason God brought Israel to the wilderness was so that they could go and worship God. And I don't know about you. Maybe this is unique to me. I don't think it is. But when every single thing in my life is going exactly how I want, when every single thing in my life is going exactly how I have it planned, I very quickly forget how much I need God. And I can be thankful to God, but even my thankfulness runs out eventually. And I need God to remind me how much I need him. And sometimes he has to take certain things away 
He has to pull me into a place of trial or testing or a place of uncertainty so that I remember that it's not me who did this, but the Lord. And that's actually what Moses says to the people later on in Deuteronomy. He says, in your peace and your prosperity, when you enter the land that the Lord has given you, when you have built wealth for yourselves and homes for yourself, do not forget the Lord your God. Because Moses knows that when peace and prosperity comes, when you have built your flocks and your houses and you have you secured wealth for yourself, you can say, look what I've built with my own hands. And that's a dangerous place to be because we forget that it was God who led us there all along. It was God who provided. We need to remember that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so we, in, in the wilderness, God prepares us, refines us, tests us, and reminds us. God uses the wilderness to prepare us. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans, he says, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. That's one of the hardest things to do, isn't it? But he says, they know, we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And, and this is maybe the key, is that in the wilderness, you might feel abandoned by God, but God does not abandon his people. That he has given us of his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And that's a faithful promise of God that we need to stand on. But this idea of rejoicing with problems and trials because these things develop character and endurance reminds me of a book I picked up that I would encourage you to find as well. It's called Faith in the Wilderness. And it's just a series of sermons written by persecuted Chinese house church pastors. And if you want to understand a theology of suffering, that would be the book to read. Because these are men who have faced imprisonment and torture and, and being ostracized from their community for the name of Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. But it, there is this concern that was coming up in the Chinese house church pastors because they were being, talking about the new generation of Christians being raised and there was this concern that there was not enough persecution. Wang Jiangyao, who was an older pastor who had kind of grown up in the, in the time of, of deep struggle for the Chinese house church, time of deep persecution, was quoted in an interview saying this. He said, I think the next big crisis will be our next generation because the younger generation has never experienced persecution as the previous generation did. They've never had the spiritual battles and so they are very greatly influenced by secularism. And the president of the China Partnership Fellowship even mentioned that some older Chinese believers were so concerned about the younger generation having hearts that were, were distracted, having hearts that were not totally focused on Jesus, but hearts that were divided between what the world offered and what Jesus offered, that they said, should we begin praying for persecution? Because our faith was so much stronger in the, tri in the trial. Our faith was so much more vibrant in the suffering. Should we pray for this to happen? They didn't really have to. Uh, maybe they did start praying, but in 2018, the Chinese government kind of cracked down once again. That period of ease kind of ended in 2018, and the Chinese government said, no house churches are allowed, they're all illegal, no religious activity, uh, Bible studies, or donating money to religious things. If it's not done under the Chinese kind of government church, you cannot do it. And persecution and imprisonment ramped up again in the next few years here. An article from uh, the Gospel Coalition in 2020 said, 
One young persecuted Chinese church was asked how this opposition and persecution had changed their leaders. They said the sermons are better. So I guess I need more persecution. <laughs> and they said we have a more stable faith. And, and, and a pastor from that church who had just recently been released from prison said what persecution has done, it's transformed my faith from theoretical knowledge to a deep real life belief. And that's really the place of wilderness. It's a place where I have nothing unless God provides it for me. Do I believe? Do I have faith? And that's the place where God refines us. The place of wilderness for God's people can, you know, literally be the wilderness, like out into the wilderness, like it is with Moses or David or Jesus. Or the place of wilderness can be a season of difficulty and trial, like we saw with Joseph, as Pastor Randall preached on. His wilderness was, God gives him a vision as a young man, and then he spends years as a slave, and then more years as a prisoner, before finally that vision comes to fruition. But that was his season of wilderness and preparation. Or wilderness can be a season of difficulty that we go through. We see this with the Apostle Paul. There's something that's so interesting to me in, in the letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says... You know, dear brothers and sisters, that when I came to you, I came with weakness, fear, and much trembling. You don't often think of the Apostle Paul in those three words, but he says that's how he came to them in Corinth. He had gone through, we're going to look at this way later, probably down in November. We're going to look at why Paul says that. So I'm not going to tell you right now. But what it is, is Paul had gone through a season of difficulty. He'd gone through a season where, where things got really hard and he came into Corinth alone and weak and fearful and trembling. And that was his wilderness season. And so the important thing to remember about the wilderness is that God is with us there. Difficulty does not mean that God has abandoned us because it's often the place that God uses to bring us closer to himself. Think of the famous Psalm of David, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley or though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And the key here is that God is with him. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, even in the darkest valley. And what's so interesting is just before that, he says, you lead me along the right paths even though I walk through the darkest valley. So God has even led him into the darkest valley. He says, but I'm not fearful there because you are with me, even here. And David is comforted because even there the Lord is with him. So whenever God leads his people into a wilderness season, he provides. It's not easy. The wilderness can be scary. It's not fun. But like the, Chinese, the persecuted Chinese church our faith is ignited when we realize how good God is even here and how God uses even suffering and pain to remind us of his presence with us and the, and the ways he provides for us. The wilderness, you know, many Bible commentators will mention when they talk about David's time in the wilderness, what they do is they talk about all the things that David lost when he went into the wilderness. And it's true, David lost many of the things he relied upon. He lost his standing in, in Saul's army. Eventually, he would uh, not be friends with, uh, he would have to move away from his friendship with Jonathan and, and his, leaving his wife behind. And there's all these things that David lost. 
And when we move into a wilderness season, sometimes, you know, very often what's happening is we're losing certain things. We're losing certain things that have made us secure, whether that's a job or our health or or something that's made us secure. But I I don't want to focus today on the things that we lose in the wilderness. Because what we see and what Deuteronomy showed us, what Moses said is that God provides in the wilderness. God provides. So I don't want to focus on what we lose. I want to focus on how God provides. Right? No doubt the nation of Israel found the wilderness journey difficult and frustrating. But God provided. Now, they complained. They're like, I'm so sick of manna. I just want meat and cucumbers. Can we just go back and eat cucumbers in Egypt? Which is, I'm not that big of a fan of cucumber. But, um, but you know, they, they complained still. But they're missing the point is that God was providing for them. Proving his goodness to them. So if we look at David, although his sense of community and friendship is somewhat disrupted, I don't think he lost friendship and community. In fact, I think that was one of the things that God provided for him. David only survives the attempts on his life and survives long enough to make it to the wilderness because of his friendships and relationships. The people who loved him helped him. Right, David and Jonathan, I want to kind of focus in on this. I want to focus in on this friendship, this godly friendship that David and Jonathan have. And we'll pick it up from um, the next part of, of 1 Samuel. But it says, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is a witness between you and me, between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. And this is sort of, the, this is when David has to get into the wilderness. Jonathan has gone and seen that Saul is intent on killing David. But it's this friendship that saves David's life. God provides this godly man and this godly friend in Jonathan. Now, this is not the last time David and Jonathan meet, but it's the start of David's wilderness years. And I want to reflect here on the importance of friendship, community, and relationship. When we enter our own season of wilderness, we need to pray for God to provide us with the people and relationships to help us navigate through the tough times. We need people who will advocate for us, who will weep with us, who will pray for us, and who will take us in. Now, as David enters deeper into the wilderness, he will lose some of these connections, but not completely. One of my favorite parts of the David story is later on as David has been on the run from Saul and, and God's been providing you know, ways through the wilderness to get away from Saul. At an opportune time, David's friend Jonathan comes to him once again and we read this. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come to take his life and Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. At an opportune time, a godly friend comes to strengthen his friend in the Lord. He helped David find strength in God. I love that. How often in my own life have I been in a season of, of just a low point or, or, or questioning or I don't know where I'm going to go and a godly friend comes and prays with me or encourages me or, or even just has a word of, from the Lord for me and it strengthens me in that moment. And so I think that's what God provides. Often in the wilderness, God is going to provide somebody or a community of people to come around you and surround you and carry you through, encourage you and strengthen you in the Lord. And David isn't all alone in the wilderness. 
He starts to get this community around him. At first, it's men who join him because they're in debt or in some distress, which, you know, they're not the cream of the crop, probably. But they come and surround him, and that becomes his army. But later on, David is joined by strong warriors and strong leaders who he's able to make generals in his army. And these are the men that he becomes reliant upon. It's his community that supports him and goes with him no matter where he goes. And so one of the ways that God works in our lives is through the words and the comfort of friends and community around us. And so when we're in our own season of wilderness, we want to be on the lookout for what God is providing. And very often, God will bring us people to walk alongside us, to encourage us, to build us up and strengthen us in the Lord. This is why whenever I meet with people who are going through difficult times, I always ask, do you have someone in your life that God has provided who will pray with you, who will listen to you, who will encourage you? Do you have a small group? Do you have a friend? Do you have somebody who you can walk with you through this? Because you, you need that. You can't do this alone. So relationships and community are always important, but even more so in those places of difficulty. And that's why I'm really encouraged, you know, when I came into this church and we had the right-hand support program going, which matches people in, in you know, deep loneliness or isolation or even some mental health issues, matches them with a mentor who will listen and who will talk and who will pray with them. Or programs like Grief Share, where people journey together through grief and loss because there's something so important about not being isolated in the wilderness, but to look for the people that God has provided in those times. And the other provision of God in the wilderness is simply his presence and direction. It's in the wilderness that we come to realize how desperately we need God. And the wilderness is the place where we realize we don't control as much as we thought. Right, Whether it's a medical diagnosis or the loss of a job or some transition in life, we realize I'm human, I'm frail, I'm not in as much control as I wish I was. And then we remember that God is in control. And we look to him for his wisdom and his presence. And it's while in the wilderness that we start to see David. You know, last sermon we saw that David just sort of, his heart was oriented right. He was faithful to where he was, and he could just kind of live his life as it unfolds. Now he's in the wilderness. Now it's time to dig a little deeper. And he starts to inquire of the Lord in tangible ways. We pick up in 1 Samuel 23, and David sees that the Philistines are fighting against Keilah. And so he inquired of the Lord. He actually just straight up asks, should we go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord says, yes, go and do it. But David's men are afraid to do this. They say, here in Judah, we are afraid. How much more than if we go to Keilah? So once again, David inquired of the Lord, but the Lord said, go down, and I'm going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David goes with his men, and they have a great victory there. Later on, David hears that Saul is going to lay siege to the town of Keilah that they have now, you know, entered into and live in. So David once again inquires of the Lord for wisdom and direction, and that allows David and his men to escape. And I'm reminded of, of the words of James who says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So here David is learning another principle, that he doesn't know everything, but he can ask the Lord. And he can rely on the wisdom of the Lord to lead him. And even when his men are afraid, he can trust that what the Lord says will be true. And that's such an important thing to remember in the wilderness, that you can ask for wisdom. You can ask for direction. You're not alone in the wilderness. Because the promise of the Lord is that he goes with us in those places. Now as we come to the end of the message, I don't want you to think that you need to navigate the wilderness perfectly. The reality of wilderness is that even when God provides 
And even when God speaks, and even when we go, you know what, this season is tough, but I feel the presence of the Lord, or this season is tough, but I've seen the hand of God, the longer the wilderness drags on, the easier it is to fall into despair. The easier it is to say, I just don't know how much longer I can do this. And once again, we see this with David. 1 Samuel 26 ends with David sparing Saul's life yet again. And it reads, Saul said to David, May you be blessed, David, my son. I mean, my goodness, this guy's tried to kill him how many times? Okay, may you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way and Saul returned home. And you go, oh, okay, great. Here's how the very next chapter, 1 Samuel 27, opens. It opens with these words. But David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me and I will slip out of his hand. I agree with Charles Swindoll here that this is a mistake. David forgets the promises of God. The wilderness has dragged on for so long and God's been faithful and God has given direction and God has given provision and God has given spiritual friendship But it's just going on for so long that David thinks to himself in a moment of despair and despondency, I can't do this forever. And someday Saul's going to get me. I've got to figure a way out of this. And instead of inquiring of the Lord, he thinks to himself, I'll go to the Philistines. You know, last Sunday we talked about how David could live the life that unfolded before him because his heart was oriented right. He was faithful where God called him. But something changes here, and David makes a decision not out of faith, but out of fear. And so his heart is no longer oriented. He's not faithful to where God has him, which is in the wilderness. He's trying to now take matters into his own hands, and in fear he makes a decision to go to the Philistines. He doesn't consult the Lord, as we saw before. He goes to the enemies. And he doesn't just go alone. He takes his whole army and their families with him. And do you know where David goes? He goes to Gath. Do you know where Gath is? Gath is where Goliath is from. So David goes to the place, goes, hey, I killed your champion. Can I live with you? So he knows that's not going to fly. Do you know, so you know what David does? He says, I will serve you, King Akish. King Akish is the king of the Philistines. And he says, I will serve you. This is why I know that this is a mistake of David. The anointed king of Israel serving the king of the Philistines? This doesn't track. This doesn't make sense. And all he wants is that him and his men be given a town to live in, and they're given the town of Ziklag, because, of course, the king of the Philistines is like, if you will serve me, you know, that whole Goliath thing, we can forget that. The anointed king of Israel, my servant? Yes, absolutely. So now King Achish thinks that David is going to attack Saul. And David wants King Achish to think that that's what he's doing. So David regularly would take his men out and he would fight a totally different group of people, the Amalekites. And he would wipe them out. Man, woman, and child, it says. David slaughtered all of them. Do you know why David slaughtered them all? Because he had to keep up the lie to King Achish. King Achish believes David is attacking Saul. Because David kind of misleads him. He says, when King Achish asks David, where have you been? He says, oh, I've been fighting in the south of Judah. It's very vague. That kind of sounds like I've been fighting Saul in the south of Judah. And then he, David actually lies even further. He just lies outright. He says, oh, I've been fighting the Jeremelites and the Kenites. Well, that's a complete lie. He didn't fight those people. That's why he wiped out the Amalekites so that nobody could report back to King Achish what he's really been up to. 
He's covering his tracks so nobody would really know what he has done or where he has been. And David does this for 16 months until it all falls apart. The Amalekites come and raid Ziklag, the town that David, his men, and their families have been living in. Read this. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept until they had no strength left to weep. And David's men are furious with him. It says David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. I mean, the men are like, you, you led us here into deception, and now look what has happened. Our women, our children are gone. You deserve to die for that leadership mistake. That's a big mistake. And David's at his lowest point yet. The wilderness has been hard, but when he took matters into his own hands, it got infinitely harder. When David, in fear and frustration, tried to take matters into his own hands, he made a mess of it. So what can David do in this mess? Well, here's the third thing we can do in the wilderness when we've made a mess of it. We can rely on God's grace and call out to him, and that's what David does. After 16 months of trying to do things his own way, David finally calls out to God. It says, David found strength in the Lord his God. So right after the men say they want to stone him, it says, David found strength in the Lord his God. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue the raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, the Lord answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in this rescue. As soon as David realizes he's made a mess of it, he strengthens himself in the Lord. I don't know exactly what David prayed when he went and strengthened himself in the Lord, but it might have been something like what we read in Psalm 69, where David writes this. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I come into the deep waters and the floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. You, God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. God of Israel, may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. But I pray to you, Lord, in the time of your favor, in your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me from the deep waters. Do not let the flood waters engulf me or the depths swallow me or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, Lord, out of the goodness of your love. In your great mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. Come near and rescue me. Deliver me. And maybe you've been in a season of wilderness and uh, a season of trial or doubt or despair. And maybe you've, like David, momentarily forgotten God's presence and promise. And maybe you've turned to some foolish or sinful thing to bring relief from the struggle and the trial. Well, I'd like the lesson of David to be an encouragement to you. No matter how far off track you think you've gone, you can always turn to the Lord and be strengthened again. That's the grace. That's what repentance and grace is all about. And you see that in Psalm 69. And it's, again, affirmed in the New Testament. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only ours, but the sins of all the world. And so I think it's important for us to take away today that God does not abandon us in the wilderness. He uses the season of wilderness to draw us closer to himself. And now sometimes in the wilderness, God can seem far off. Sometimes it seems we're abandoned. Maybe like David in Psalm 13, we're saying, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? But if I could encourage you today, if you're in that place of wilderness, can you strengthen yourself in the Lord? 
And maybe you can say as David does at the end of Psalm 13, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. And so if you're feeling kind of lost in a season of wilderness and you don't know who your friends are and you don't know where God's presence is, can I encourage you to reach out to either me or somebody in the church that you know and say, hey, I'm really in a tough place right now and I've been isolated and I need someone to walk with me in this place. I need the encouragement of the Lord. I need to be strengthened in the Lord because I'm, I'm just floundering here. That's what the church is for is to encourage you in your faith, to build you in your faith, to walk with you and carry your burdens. So I'd encourage you to reach out if you're in that place. Let me pray for you, and uh, I'll call the worship team up as I, I get ready to pray here. Heavenly Father, I pray for any of those people who feel like they're in that wilderness place, that place of of desperation, that place of uncertainty, that place of feeling maybe just lost and, and not sure where to go. And Father, I pray that their hearts would be reminded that even though they're in a season of difficulty and trial, that you have not abandoned them, you have not forsaken them, you have not forgotten them. I pray even now, Holy Spirit, that you would begin ministering to their heart and their mind, reminding them that you have plans and purposes for them that your son Jesus died for them and you will not now abandon them here. And so I pray that you would provide for them in this wilderness place. And I pray for those of us who maybe are in a season of strength and I pray that we could be like a Jonathan to those that we know are struggling, that we would go to them and, and strengthen our friends and our brothers and sisters in faith and strengthen them in the Lord. And so Lord Jesus, I ask that, that we would just see your provision and your grace. And I pray that we would re remember that it's not about what we have in this life, but it's about what you've secured for us in eternal life. And so Lord Jesus, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and minds today and encourage us. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Let's worship together.